today, part three of the four-part interview of 80,000 to 80 million with Mr. Thomas Beyer. Let's go. Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. All right, everybody. Well, welcome back. Part three of the four-part interview. We're back on Tuesday of this being released. Hope you enjoyed the bonus episode last Friday, and you got a lot out of that episode as well. And for those of you that have taken action and have taken me up on the review contest and have left a review and have emailed me and sent a screenshot in, your books are on the way. Um, might just take me a little bit of time to get that. I got to get my my team on it, and they'll get the book out to you ASAP with all that. Now it's really cool. I was just going through Thomas's book again, and you know the book that I have on mine is I originally got mine back in 2014, so I got one of the early early copies of this. And here's just some of the things you're going to get from this one. This one, Thomas is just such a wealth of information. He's very well-spoken, as you can tell by doing the podcast. But as well-spoken as he is, he actually is a better writer. He is actually an extremely gifted writer, and he's very clear and precise in his writing. And that's what you get when you get his book. Like, for example, I'm just thumbing through some of the 80-plus lessons that you will learn. There's an entire section on delegation. So if you guys are ever interested in delegating some of these tasks within real estate, you know, many times I've mentioned Dan Sullivan's Who Not How is an absolute critical book for many of you to pick up. Thomas writes, I think there's like six chapters in a row here of six lessons on the whole part of delegation. If you're interested on, you know, some financial planning, some financial managing, how do you grow in discomfort? How do you ready, fire, aim, take responsibility, mitigating the steps, mitigating the risk? There is just so much in here. It talks about, you know, the 50-50 joint venture. Is that fair? Like, one of the ones here is I love the analogies. I've used it many times. So thank you, Thomas. I've borrowed your analogy many times about real estate is like a good three-course meal. The appetizer, the main course, and the dessert. And that's lesson number, which one is that? Lesson number 74. So there are a tremendous amount of lessons in this book. The people that have taken the action, the people that have left a review on the Apple podcast, that have taken a screenshot of it, have emailed it to myself and gave me their address. The book is on the way. You will have this book sent to you more than 300 plus pages of 80 lessons learned on the journey from 80,000 to 80 million. So thank you, Thomas, for writing this book. Thank you once again for also opening up your home in beautiful UBC when you own that place. And thank you for sharing your wisdom. You have inspired an entire generation of people to help them grow, help them think bigger, help them move forward with velocity. And I can't wait until we can get a chance to, in person, do the next wave of these interviews. And we'll bring it out to the Raising Capital Academy members on the standing on the shoulders of Giants interviews. Okay, gang, with all that being said, um, let's just get right after it. This is part three. Remember, on Friday will be part four, and you still have an opportunity for the review contest. Okay, let's just get after it. Ladies and gentlemen, please help welcome part three, Mr. Thomas Beyer. 
Oh, okay, we're back. So we actually just had a little apple break and we had some water and we have our coffees. And Thomas, at the same time, you, you signed some documents to sell the property at the same time. So there's not a, not a shortage of action going on around here, Thomas. Right. I wanted to go down. Now, I fully understand this is a very deep conversation and it probably could be an entire topic of just this conversation in and of itself. But I want to paint a picture, and there's a lot of people that are following these interviews that are in the same boat. I've exhausted my inner circle, my family, my friends, their referrals, all the people. Everybody knows that I've invested in real estate, and they've talked to all their people. And, you know, I maybe even, I've bought a 24 unit and a 48, I got 60 units. I want to take the next step now. I want to start doing some public raising of capital. Mm -hmm. What is some, some advice that you would give people in today's environment of raising capital from the public, what would you do if you were just starting to raise capital from the public in today's marketplace? What would be some of the steps you would take? Well, first of all, I think you should need to assess, is that what you want to do? Yes. Okay. Because any asset you buy comes with a liability, right? There is certainly the mortgage, which is a liability, but you also take on responsibility to other people, Right, other people who you don't know, people you don't know, and you now also come under the realm of what's called securities. Mm -hmm. So there is every province in in this uh, fine country has a security regulator, yeah. and as soon as you syndicate a building, which means there's more than one person owning it, that could be shares, or it could be fractional units, or it could be limited partnership units, whatever the fraction is or trust units, it's now called a security. And security is essentially an instrument, a legal instrument, where you don't know the outcome, right? I buy something at $100 a unit, and I hope it's going to be worth $200 a unit, but it might be worth 85 bucks a unit. Right. I don't know that because I make certain assumptions about the world at large, right? So that is a liability per se, because now some stranger from the Alberta Security Commission or Ontario Security Commission or BC can phone you and say, hey, Mr. Westcott or Mr. Buyer, you see you raised $1.6 million here to buy this 60plex. Mm -hmm. Tell me about it. Show me the documents. You had the, the investor sign. And that can get you in hot water if you don't do it properly. Right. So therefore, you need to cover your assets, <laughs> assets but also you got to have legal, legal advice. Legal advice is not free. So you need subscription documents where you subscribe to a unit under certain terms. And accompanied with that is usually the agreement, which is often a limited partnership agreement, or it's a trust agreement, or it's a shareholder agreement. Mm -hmm. And that shareholder agreement is usually a lengthy, multi-page, 10, 12, 15 500-page document, depending how, how detailed you want to be, which describes in fairly good detail what you're actually doing. Right. right. So essentially, it's a big document of disclosures and risk acknowledgements. And it's basically a, a business plan on steroids, where you're sharing all the potential things that can go wrong. It's exactly. almost like a what can go wrong document. Yeah. So for example, the, the document we used or have used has a four-page section just on risks which could go wrong, environmental risk and interest rate risk and market risk and I could die and, you know, fires, all sorts of stuff, earthquakes. You, you mentioned all that because all that could happen. Now, some things are very remote, mm -hmm. but there's really any earthquakes in Alberta, but it could happen, right? Yeah, it could be a tidal wave hit Alberta. <laughs> in, in addition, there's also a restrictions of what you can say to people. So you, you should never guarantee anything. And even you got to be careful of any promises on returns, right? You can use the word target. So yeah, or anticipate. If we anticipate an 8% return. Potential. Or potential 8% return. 
But even that, they can scrutinize the wall, show me the evidence, and maybe you have actually a little performance. Well, based on this assumption, I can produce an 8% return given my fees I have and my syndication structure and my marketing costs and my building prices over a five-year period. Under this assumption, I can think an 8% is reasonable, right? You better have some, some document to cover that. In addition, not every person who wants to invest can invest. So there is uh, what's called like accreditation. Like, are you accredited mm-hmm. or are you eligible? So there's sort of five categories in Canada. One is friends and family. Yeah. One is what they call close business associates. Yeah. What is the definition? Obviously, a friends and family. And I know these are probably gray areas on the definition. No, no, they're actually well, very well defined. Okay. So for example, it says, what is family, actually? There's actually a definition. You look it up. Okay. Right? So your, your third uncle, twice removed, who lives in Taiwan, yeah. is not family. Okay. Right? But maybe your second uncle is. So I think there's a very detailed definition. And also, what's a friend, actually, defined? Mm-hmm. Uh, or what's the close business associate? They actually okay. define that. So you might actually read that and say, well, is this guy you just met at the golf course last week had a beer with, is yeah. he actually a close business associate? Yeah, probably not because he met the guy once. He, maybe you know he's a dentist, but that's it. Right, right, right. So, and then I think there's also a criteria of how long you have to know somebody. I think it's 90 days or yeah, something like that well. yeah. so, th- so these are called national instruments. Those little up and they change sometimes. Do you know offhand the website, give or take, or stuff I've just Googling it, where would... Uh, well, one is NI45106. NI45... National Instrument, 45106. One yeah. is National Instrument, uh, I think it's 31103. Yeah. And they exist for many industries. Let's say you do mining, right? Mm-hmm. There is a difference between proven reserves and proved reserves. That's right. defined, right? So if you're a mining guy, there's guidelines just for mining companies, right? Yeah, so just as an effort for everyone, I'll, I'll link up those links to those um, those instruments and, 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 and the public documents so everybody can get caught. Yeah, and they differ slightly by province. Now, they're very similar. Yeah. And then there's also what's called accredited investors. Yeah, so I, I cut you off there earlier. It was, it was family. Um, family and friends. Family and friends. And then close, and still business associates. Yeah, and then now we're talking uh, accredited. Well, then as you eligible investors. Eligible. Okay, what's an eligible the, typically? It, it's that? usually like a guy with a lower income. I think, I believe it's 70,000. Yeah. And or net worth of 200,000. Something okay. like that. It, it might have changed last year or so, but look that up. And accredited means income over 200,000. Yeah. And net worth outside your house of a million. Right. And, and so... They might even exclude your business practice. So if you're a dentist and you own a house in Best Van for five million, mm-hmm. mortgage free, and you own a dental practice with five million, you may not free, have anything. <laughs> you no, you might not be accredited okay. because these are not financial assets. Because the house is not a financial asset and your business is not either. Mm. So then you need to be very careful. So the, the dentist is very wealthy, but he needs a million bucks in financial assets, i.e., RSP money or cash. Okay. Right. So this gives you the biggest door, accredited investors, and there's one, one above that, which I think, what's called, uh, there's another term for that, but if you have net worth over $5 million, mm-hmm. or if you invest over a certain amount. Right, and typically that amount is like in the 150 Yeah, or, or a large amount, exactly. Yeah. And again, it differs by province, right? And even if you have these documents, they might say, well, how do you know the guy has worth a million dollars? Well, he told me. Well, they might say, well, it's not good enough. Did you actually check his RSP statement? Well, no, I didn't. Well, they might they might hit you, right? So so be careful as you go out into the world at large. And now we have websites and statements that is now publicly visible by people. And if something goes wrong or someone's pissed off, they might start calling you. Usually nothing happens if everyone's well and everyone's happy, nothing happens. Yep. Because they're not they're not they can't check hundreds, hundreds of companies every year, right? But something goes belly up, guess what? They'll probably start calling. Some guy really wants to get you because you lost him some money, perhaps. Maybe he lost 20% or 30%, which can happen, obviously, in a, in a downturn of a market. 
and they're really angry and you told them I make 10% and you actually lost 30%. You know, they might phone the security commission and they might uh, make some stink. And right. They may or may not phone you, right? Mm-hmm. And, and now you better have your ducks in a row and your, and your documents. So really would you say, and, and we're going to come back to a couple other things you said earlier, but really it really comes down to just knowing, you know, in the financial planners world, I'm not saying we're financial planners, I'm not saying mm-hmm. it by any means, it's, it's the whole know, thy, know your client. Mm-hmm. You know, to know them, it's all in the application and the qualification and how well do you know them? If you were to stand in front of somebody and say, how well do you know that person? Yeah. Tell me the story how you know them. Exactly. You just need to know them really well, Correct. <laughs> right? Correct. But if they want to trick you, they can probably, right? Because maybe you didn't check the RSP set and maybe you didn't check the bank account, actually. Although you know the guy is worth millions of dollars. Yeah. You've seen his Porsche and you've seen his house, perhaps, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe you didn't check his bank account and maybe he's only worth 800000 in yeah. financial assets. And all of a sudden, they find you because you the guy is actually not worth a million, he's only worth eight hundred, And you have a problem now. And they find you and they could pull your license and make your life miserable. So you got to be, I think, really carefully consider that. I mean, so when we did that in about 2005, we used offering memorandums, which again are these very lengthy documents, which covers all the risks and it has all these risk acknowledgement forms and it has subscription documents. And that to put that package together is probably a twenty-five to thirty-five thousand dollar. Twenty-five to thirty-five thousand. Now, who writes it? Do it's, it's, it's a security lawyer. It's a lawyer usually in that province where you raise money. So let's say if you're based in BC, it would be a BC. Lawyer, security lawyer, wouldn't be in Alberta security yeah. lawyers, right? Yeah. If you raise money or if your company is incorporated in Ontario, it's an Ontario lawyer, although you might raise money in BC and Alberta, right? right? But but the documents are slightly different per province and the lawyers are usually um, called to the bar, as you know, per province. So, yeah. so it's it's a minimum of, you know, you're probably looking at a minimum of twenty five to 30000 probably even when you have to start even factoring in some marketing costs and you're probably looking at a minimum of $50,000 up front. Correct. Yeah. And, and and there's usually a typical, you need to probably be raising $3 million plus in order to make that feasible. Yeah, it depends, it depends on, the, on the deal, right? If you do a land development deal with maybe a lot of upside, maybe less than that. If you mm-hmm. do an apartment building with skinnier margins, yeah, you yeah. might want to raise more money. Right? But, but if you think about it, that offer memorandum document, I would imagine that's a... The majority, it's front-loaded. It's a one-time upfront of the get somebody to do it. And I would imagine for the next ones, it's not a $25,000 touch anymore, right? No, but again, I mean, that's how lawyers make money, right? <laughs> they clone things, right? They don't invent a mortgage boilerplate out of thin air. Yeah. <laughs> right? they, they always take a boilerplate and, and amend it. Yes. That's how they make money, right? So they give you an OM customized to you, but the OM template was taken from someone else. But now they have to go through every clause and make sure that this clause is applicable to you, right? Mm-hmm. Because maybe the mining joint venture is different, has different language than, than the real estate joint venture or the chicken farm joint venture, right? right? So it's a joint venture on steroids. And therefore, if, if you can keep it small and stay within your circle of influence, that might be a preferred path. Hey everyone, sure hope you're enjoying today's episode. Just wanted to take a quick pause in today's show to share with you a real estate investing and financing tip that has helped many investors scale up their portfolio. Data-driven decisions and having a roadmap are two of the most important fundamentals for real estate investing success. When it comes to financing income properties, it is critical to take a strategic approach versus a traditional transactional approach to financing. A transactional approach is when your lender or broker just speaks to you about the deal at hand versus sitting down and helping you with your plans of financing and putting a roadmap together for your next properties. Do you have the critical answers to 
start, grow, and scale your portfolios, answers to some key questions such as, where will the money come from to keep acquiring your properties? How do you structure your deal strategically while not painting yourself into a corner with future financing? And how to proactively manage your borrowing power? These are just a few of the key questions you need answers. If you're looking to grow your portfolio and you're looking to structure your financing strategically, I suggest you speak with one of the team members at Streetwise Mortgages. They have helped thousands of investors scale up their portfolios and also get into the game of real estate investing. The financing roadmap is complimentary for every client who works with Streetwise Mortgages. Best of all, on top of the financing roadmap, you'll receive a summary report on the top 18 Ontario markets. Plus, you'll receive a comprehensive deep dive research report on the market of your choice of the top 18. I'm currently looking at one of these reports right now, and they are comprehensive and deep data-driven decision materials for you to make the right decision. I highly recommend you take a look at this if you are interested in starting, growing, and scaling your real estate investing portfolio. To book a planning session and develop your financing roadmap, email info at streetwisemortgages.com. That's info at streetwisemortgages.com. There will also be a link in the show notes below. Now back to the show. I think a lot of people hear the term raising capital from the public and it sounds really sexy. Right. And that's what everybody, that's what a lot of people think that they need to do that until they actually go through the process. And it's no different than, okay, everybody wants to play in the NHL. Everybody wants to, every kid that ever strapped on skates, uh, I'm Guy Lafleur, sort of show my age, you know, I'm, I'm Wayne Gretzky, I want to play in the NHL until you actually find out what you actually have to do to make right. it to the NHL. Absolutely. Um, I'm okay playing at university level and playing my beer league. And, and quite frankly, I'm doing very, very well. That's just right. doing that too, right? So it is It is a new game. It's a new sandbox. As, as I mentioned, there's liabilities in, in that that the Security Commission can can call you and make your life miserable. Investors can demand lists of other investors. Um, you have to have some reporting mechanism that you send them some updates, maybe every quarter or at least yearly. Maybe there's a requirement to do auditor statements even, which cost a lot more money than if you just do notice to reader mm-hmm. or reviewed statements. So you, you create, I mean, maybe need now a secretary or part-time, part-time paralegal who helps you with all these documents, right? And that, that there's costs involved in that. So really, there's an entire new level of scrutiny. There's an entire new level of governance. Correct. There's an entire new level of transparency. There's an entire new level of your operating, the skill of it as an operator that you have to now factor in. And I'm not saying it because we're not here to, to freak you out. We're not, uh, quite frankly, no. I hope everybody who is part of, as part of the Raising Capital Academy gets to the point where you have to go to the public to raise capital because that means you're doing, you're doing some pretty big things. But let's just be, we're being real and being honest about it. And, and you didn't probably take that decision lightly when you decided to make that leap at that time too, right? No, I did not. But we immediately hired a security lawyer out of Calgary at the time and we produced these documents, right? Mm-hmm. And, and ever since the rules have tightened as well, right? So we followed that. I haven't raised money on a larger scale for four or five years now. So yeah. the, the last mobile home park deal we did was accredited uh, investors where we did not use an offering memorandum, mm-hmm. just a subscription document with risk acknowledgement forms. So and, okay. and the LP agreement, I think the cost was maybe something like six or seven thousand dollars. Right? Okay, so subscription document. So so let's just let's. I want to just run this through. So you you put you built your list of, of investors. You put a note out. We're buying two mobile home parks. Where were they? They were both in Alberta. Right. Deals on wheels. 
and and you want to own the land that the trailers sit on top of. No, 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 not the mobile, not the trailer, the mobile home. The mobile home, sorry, mobile home. Yes, (laughs) that's the higher end version. So you sent the thing out to your database of investors. What was the languaging around it, and then what did somebody? After they raised their hand, said, I'm interested in, what did you send them? What was the document you have to send? Just walk me through that a little bit. So the, the initial hook was basically, basically an email with some high-level numbers. Yes. High level. Here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity, but already qualifying. Because part of your marketing, let's call this, is, is also to qualify the potential customer. Right? That's marketing. That's all marketing is. is because, because you don't have time to follow up with 2,000 people. You want only 20 guys to raise a hand or yeah. 30. And ideally, all of them invest immediately. Yes. Right? Ideally, you don't get 100 calls and, and only one third invest, actually. And we developed a fairly, very detailed performer yeah. over about two or three pages of with in our opinion, realistic assumptions about the world at large and, and rental increases and vacancies and expenses. And usually we do what's called an MTO, minimum target outrageous, and say, well, if the market was, goes up 2%, it's that sort of minimum. If the market goes up 4%, or if the market goes up 6%. And, and of course, if you do that for, for five years, you get different return targets, right? So we show them, well, it could be here, or it could be here, or it could be here, yeah. right? And we give them some, some, some box usually. Because we don't know what the world will look like in five years. You make some assumptions. So we had a fairly detailed performer. And with that, you always have to have pictures. Yeah. And here's how what Oldbuck looks like. Where's Eckville? Where's, where's Rocky Mountain House? People don't know that if you, unless you live in, in, the, in the area. Um, so essentially, yeah. And, and very, why Alberta? You know, what, what, what's our take on interest rates? Like, who are we? There was another partner, Mike Hamlin, involved. Who is he? You know, what's our expertise? What's the property manager? There's a little mini bios of the picture. So it was probably a 10, 12 page document. A very robust, essentially a, a, a business plan. In yeah, essence. Yeah. yeah. And then people look at that and say, oh, I'm interested. And I got a hundred grand to invest. Then we would send them the, the legal descriptions, the, yeah. the, the physical documents. So what are those? What are those documents? There, and I'm not saying yeah, it's, line it's, by yeah, line. So, so, the, so the legal structure again. First of all, you have to decide what is the legal structure which actually owns the asset. Right? Okay. There's the physical asset you buy, but the physical asset always sits within a legal environment. Okay, right? yeah. It could be you personally own it. It could be a corporation owns it, or it could be a trust owning it. it could be a limited partnership owning it. Okay. Right. So you got to describe the legal, first of all the physical asset you're buying yep. in, in some depth, but also like what's an LP for example. Right. You do maybe a a little blurb of what's a limited partnership. Not yeah. everyone knows that. And then you have a limited partnership agreement, which is, well, let me say, eight, 10 pages. Mm-hmm. And in that, you show what are the fees we are taking because we're good Christian caring capitalists. We want to make some money too, right? CQ. <laughs> there, there's an upfront acquisition cost. There is a profit sharing split, mm-hmm. right? There's ongoing uh, annual management fees. That, that's all laid out in the, in, the, yeah, transparency, in, yeah. in, in the agreement, which is also reflected in the performer. We have the same fees in the performer, hopefully. So if I say 2%, Acquisition cost, but I use only half a percent in my performer. Well, and of course, the numbers don't match, right? They, they gotta be, the, the documents have to, have to match. And with that, you have what's called a subscription document because you are subscribing, in this case, to the limited partnership at a certain price per unit. It might be a thousand bucks a unit or okay. 10,000 bucks a unit or whatever the document describes. And you say, I want 10 units at 10,000 bucks a unit. Okay. And then you fill it out. And then who are you? I'm accredited. Uh, here's my address. Here's my social and then they have number. to check a box of what they would, where they would fit in on their assets, their uh, net worth, their uh, yeah, and, and the lawyer prepares that, and and that again changes by province and might even change every year depending on uh, on the. So on that the type of a package, you say, is about five six thousand dollars, something like that. Yeah. So, so that'd be something that you know, and it's not any run of the mill lawyer that can prepare that. It has to be someone who's who's informed. It's, it's, a, it's a security lawyer. Security yeah. lawyer. So they would prepare those documents. You include that in there. So essentially 
filter out the people who are interested, people that raise their hand, they have to qualify since we make an application, they fill out the simplified package after reviewing a very detailed business plan from you and, and you'd be quite well protected right. from any securities regulations based upon the exemptions that you're Correct. going through. And, and we did also, I think we did one, maybe two telemarketing, like a webinar. Yeah. So we essentially walk people through that performer. I mean, with, with, with uh, what's called go to webinar. Yeah. You can do a, you know, a 30 minute, 45 minute presentation where we essentially tell them what you just send them anyway. Right. Yeah. But some people just want to hear it from you. Yeah. And you said, see on page five, here's a number and maybe circle it. And then say, oh yeah, I didn't see that. No. And some people just like to hear your voice and then they can ask questions. You know? Right. So, so you've taken the time to go and get these documents and everything kind of just to protect yourself and your investors. What are you seeing out there in the marketplace right now about, do you see that uh, some people, the way some people are raising capital is actually a little dangerous or what, what are you seeing some people going about doing this out there in the marketplace right now? Well, I mean, because I'm also an investor now. I'm not just a syndicator. In fact, I probably do less syndications today than I did, you know, right. four or five years so, ago. So, you're saying so, if I had an opportunity, I can come to you and talk to you about a really good opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, guys, in the in the business, that's asking for an order. That's you know. <laughs> absolutely. And and because I know I know how to analyze deals because yes. I do my own deals, right? And but I like the idea of not. Yeah, being the active guy all the time. Yeah. Right? I also like to be the passive guy and just here's a check of fifty thousand or hundred thousand or twenty thousand. And because maybe you're the Thomas expert or you're the you're the office park expert because I'm not an office guy, but I think certainly can make money in office or in now, now in, I'm gonna in ask retail. a little bit of a side question. Being the active person or the passive person in the investment, which do you prefer better? Do you like steak or fish? Yeah. I guess it depends on the mood of, of, of well, one is more work. I mean yeah. obviously if you are the active person, that yeah. is certainly upfront a lot of work, yes. right? To, to get this mobile home park package under contract was almost a one-year process because there was many amendments. We almost lost the deal. We found some environmental contamination. And we had to go back and say, well, who's paying for that? Mm-hmm. We had to drill test holes for phase two. Mm-hmm. And then as an example, the, the drill showed up to drill a hole. And as he was erecting his drill, drill a bit, he realized, oh, there's overhead wires. So it can come. He packed this gear and went back to Edmonton. So it was a two-week delay just to get another you know, drill hole out. And then they come back and say, oh, this is actually not your property. It's the city's property. So I can't drill here. So there's all these kind of little things which happen behind the scenes. We don't often tell investors. But until you actually have a deal on a contract, you know at this price, it actually makes sense. Because if you buy something where there's potential environmental contamination, you want to have that deal conditional until you know one way or the other. Yeah. And it's okay to buy if it's dirty, but you need to know what is the magnitude of the problem. If right. I can remedy this oil contamination for $100,000, that's fine. But I need to know that, right, mm-hmm. before I actually sign on a deal, right? So there's, well, we spent many, many months, probably from summer of 2016 to probably spring 2017. So you earned your fee. <laughs> just due diligence, right? And, and go to the site several times. And we actually ended up buying three parks because we had to buy an attackers. We ended up selling one after a few weeks just to get out because we didn't want to own that park was too small. So there's a lot of things under, behind the scenes and, and therefore asking, let's say, a 2% due diligence fee, which mm-hmm. was like, I don't know, $60,000 maybe. Um, maybe. I'm not sure what it was. Maybe actually. covering your hard costs. Yeah. So, I mean, like, again, and, and then you look at the deal overall, it's, it's, I mean, and some deals are more more upfront heavy and some are more, you know, backend heavy. So yep. that's really up to, the, up to you to decide. So is some of this stuff starting to sink in or is some of this 
stuff, the simple things, just the simple way Thomas describes about how he built his database. Remember, we were talking back in the day when there was no fancy, you know, autoresponders and CRM databases and all that kind of stuff. It was just a simple spreadsheet and just keep following up with people, keep following up with people about when they're ready to invest. Sometimes somebody's not ready now, but you never know. Seven years, they might be. It's just some of those simple, pragmatic, simple next steps that just can help you move forward. And I use the analogy in the second episode is, you know, hinges, small hinges swing big doors. And that's one of the best things I could describe on this episodes is with Thomas is truly an amazing hinge to help you think bigger, help you think grander, help you move forward with more pace. Maybe if you're feeling a little stuck, implement one or two of these simple things and you will start moving forward with velocity. Okay, gang, one more time, there still is available uh, books. If you're interested in leaving a review, please go to the Apple podcast player, leave a review, screenshot it, send an email to hello at russellwestcott.com. Tell me your address and those who take action will get rewarded. And I will send you a brand new copy of Thomas's Unopened. Hang on. I'm, ooh, it even smells like a new book here. It has been sitting in my garage, as I mentioned in the first episode. Been sitting in my garage for probably the better part of a couple years now. And it's time to clean out the garage and it's time to share the wonderful wisdom in these uh, pages with each and every one of you. So if you take the action, if you leave a review, if you email it to me, I will send you a copy of this wonderful resource guide and this wonderful book of inspiration and encouragement. And speaking of inspiration and encouragement, guys, you know how we end each and every one of these podcasts in every interaction you have with another person. Always, always, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, y'all. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now.